Galatians 4, and this morning we're looking at the last part of the last section of Galatians 4, but I'm going to go ahead and begin reading in verse 21 again, but then we're going to be looking at uh, verses 26 through 31 more closely. And so if you are able to, if you want to stand with me as we read God's word together, here's what Paul says to the, to the readers in Galatia. He says, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But then he verse 26 turns his attention to the free. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You may be seated. And Father, we would ask again your blessing on us as we turn our attention to your word. We pray that we experience the joy of freedom in you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So last Sunday, uh, several people approached me and after the, the sermon and, and said they appreciated the sermon, which I appreciated people appreciating the sermon. And uh, then a lot, of, a lot of people had, or several people had, kind of the same question. They said, okay... As one person put it, said, "Okay, I, I know, I, I know that I need to not pursue joy through works." By the way, do you remember the sermon last week? I, I should have remind. I sometimes I forget, so I'm sure uh, you may forget as well. Last week, just a reminder, we talked about how if if we're trying to pursue joy through works, we're enslaved. Okay, so if you're trying to pursue your joy. By, by human efforts, by working, you're enslaved. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a second. That's, that's kind of what it's about. So he said, okay, Daniel, I know, I know that I've been trying to pursue joy through works. I, I want the joy of health or I want the joy of a happy marriage. So I'm, I'm trying to earn that. I think if I do these things and God will allow me to have that. Goes, and I, I recognize that's wrong. But what do I do instead? <laughs> okay, so if I repent of that, what do I do instead? I know I need to work. I know there's things that God would call me to do, but, but how do I conceptualize that? And several people said it's just hard to kind of wrap our minds around not working to get God's favor, to earn something, to earn blessing. 
I told you there's a, I've mentioned this several times, and I'll be mentioning it a couple more times, uh, but I'm reading this book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression, and there's just some great things in there. Um, I'm making my way through it kind of slowly. I've still got a ways to go, but he, he, uh, he, he addresses this issue. He says, uh, he talks about the, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. You remember that story where there's a vineyard, an owner of a vineyard, and he goes out at early in the morning, he says, hey, you want to come work for me? And some people come work for him. Then he goes out at nine, he goes out at noon, he goes out at three in the afternoon, and then five, and he keeps on bringing more people to work. And so at the end of the day, the people who started working at five and only worked for an hour, he pays them, but he pays them a full day's wage. And then he pays people in reverse order. And as he gets to the people who have been working the whole day, they think, well, this guy is so generous. He's going to give us, we've worked a lot harder, so surely he's going to give us a lot more because of our our hard work for him. And and what happens? He pays them what he's he's paid everyone else. And they're they're shocked. They say, well, we thought we earned more. He says, look, don't don't be upset that I'm generous. And Lloyd-Jones, as he talks about that parable, says we think the same way. We believe that if we pray hard enough for revival or we pray hard enough for, for whatever it is, God will give it because other people have prayed for revival and God gave it. So we think if we, we pray for revival, we pray for our health, or if we pray for our marriage, God will give us the blessing we want. And Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, I've sometimes described this as the penny in the slot idea of Christianity. You put in your coin and you draw out a bar of chocolate or whatever else you want, and it's the same attitude. But surely this is denying the whole principle which our Lord is is teaching. I don't care what it is, Lloyd writes, whether prayer or anything else, in no respect must I ever argue that because I do something, I'm entitled to something. Never. He says, let's get rid of the, the bargaining spirit that if I do this, then this will happen. The Holy Spirit is Lord. He's a sovereign Lord. He sends these things in his own time and in his own way. In other words, we must realize we have no right to anything at all. Everything, everything is of grace in the Christian life from the very beginning to to the very end. Everything is of grace. And that's what some of us, I think, were struggling with last week as we talked about the idea that you can't pursue joy through works. It's what I struggle with. It's what Lloyd-Jones struggles with. He talks about how sometimes, he says some some Sundays he preaches, and uh, how do you put it? He says, sometimes God has been gracious on a Sunday and I've been conscious of exceptional liberty. You know what he means there? Sometimes I nailed it. You know, sometimes I really just brought it. And he says, and I, I thought because I did that, next Sunday there's going to be huge crowds. He says, God doesn't bring that, okay? And he says, everything is of grace, right? The secret of a happy Christian life is to realize that it is all of grace and to rejoice in that fact. So last week we saw, okay, I cannot pursue joy through my, my human works. If, I, if I'm trying to pursue joy in my own efforts, I'm a person who's enslaved. It means that I've, I've enslaved myself to works, and we have been set free. The problem is it's, it's hard to live as a free person. You know, maybe, you've, uh, maybe you're in high school and you've talked to someone who's graduated high school or you're in college and you've talked to someone who's graduated college and as you talk about their life, they talk about the, the freedom that they have. You know, I'm no longer enslaved to tests and studying and term papers, but 
But as you talk to them, at least this has been my experience, they'll all say, whether it's they used to be in school or they're retired, they used to work, they'll say, I still sometimes can't believe that I'm really free like this. Or I I still sometimes wake up thinking, oh, I've got a test to study for. Or I've got to get ready for work. I'm late. It's hard for us to live like who we are. And that's especially true when it comes to the Christian life. We've been enslaved to works, and when we're freed from works, by God's grace, it's hard for us to live like it. In this passage, we see there's two ways of pursuing God's blessing. There's the way of works, and that's, that's Hagar, the old covenant. That's the, the, uh, the works. We try to pursue joy and God's blessing through human effort. The Galatians were tempted to follow the law and try to pursue God's blessing. And Paul says, no, that's not the right way. And then today we see the second way, the way of God's grace, the way of freedom. And here's the main idea that I want us to kind of think about this morning. And this, by the way, this is an idea that we're going to look at today as we're finishing up chapter 4. And then as we go into chapters 5 and 6, it's going to be something that we continue to look at as we see there's freedom in the true gospel. But freedom means that we pursue our joy in, in God alone. Freedom means we pursue our joy in him alone. Remember as Piper put it last week, we, uh, he says this, he says, full freedom is what you have when no lack of opportunity, no lack of ability, and no lack of desire prevents you from doing that which will make you happiest in a thousand years. So freedom isn't that I have no, uh, no restraints on me whatsoever. It means that I have been freed by God, and now I have the opportunity I have the ability and I have the desire to pursue the thing that's going to bring me greatest joy in a thousand years and into eternity, and that's my relationship with the Lord. God himself is the treasure. And so let's, let's look this morning, that is kind of our main idea, that freedom, freedom doesn't just mean complete autonomy, complete ability to do whatever I want. Freedom means the opportunity to pursue my joy in, in Christ alone. As we think about that, let's, let's look at kind of four things that we see in this text that help us to live in freedom. And we're going to continue to develop these as we go through chapters 5 and 6. Here's the first thing. You say, okay, how do I, how do I live as a person who's free? Number one, I rejoice in God's divine work. I rejoice in God's divine work. You say, okay, you know, I know I need to not pursue joy in works. How do I pursue my joy in him as a person who's free? Number one, I rejoice in God's divine work. And look in your Bible, if you would, there at verses 26 and 27, and, and look what Paul writes. Remember, he's, he's set up how Hagar is the family you don't want to be a part of. Okay, so you... you uh, you don't want to pursue the old covenant. This old, you say you want to abide by the law, don't you? Read the law, and here's what the law says about this family. This is a family you don't want to be a part of. I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, Whitney and her sister used to do something really mean to their youngest sister. There was a, there was a family at church uh, whenever she was uh, growing up that was kind of the weird family. And, you know, some of, some of us are that weird family. You know who you are. But um, there was that weird family at church that, that uh, the, the family would, would, you know, kind of be a little uncomfortable with. And Whitney and her sister told Grace, they said, you're actually from that family, and we're just keeping you for them, right? Um, in other words, you don't belong with us. There's something about you. That's the part of the family that you really should be with. I've met the family. They're very lovely people. Whitney and her sister were very mean. But, um, 
that's the the family you don't want to be a part of. That's the identity you don't want. You've all felt that way, right? Now, now he says, that's that's not what you want to be, but, but here's the family you do want to be a part of, and here's, by God's divine work, Here's the part of the family that you, you are a member of. God in his divine grace has, has brought you into this, this new family. You're not from the old Jerusalem. You're not from the Jerusalem on earth. You're from the Jerusalem that's above. And, and you need to rejoice in that, he's going to say in verse 27. Now, why do you rejoice? Look here, there's, there's three things in these, these verses that I want to draw your attention to that should cause a person to rejoice as they contemplate the fact that they're part of God's family, that God has divinely, through his work, brought them into this family. First, we rejoice because God has made us divinely, he's made us part of a, a heavenly family. He says, the Jerusalem above is free. This, this new Jerusalem is the future. It's the, 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 the coming city. It's the coming, coming kingdom. Isaiah 65 describes this new heaven and new earth. Chapter 66 of Isaiah describes Jerusalem as a, a part of this. Psalm 87 talks about the Jerusalem that people are, are reborn into. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 that we've come to the, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And in Revelation, we see this new Jerusalem in several places. Uh, God promises people to be a, who overcome that they'll be a part of this new Jerusalem. And then in Revelation 21, Paul, uh, John writes, he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Paul says, what? You're a part of that New Jerusalem. The Jerusalem is free, is from above, and, and, and she's our mother. You're part of this, this heavenly Jerusalem, and, and you need to rejoice in that. We also rejoice because God has divinely made us free through, through rebirth. God brings to life those who are dead. You don't get to be a part of this family and, and remain in your sin. You're, you're brought in this family as God gives you life. And Romans chapter 4, Paul says, The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. We're to rejoice in God's divine work. Why? Because we're part of this this heavenly Jerusalem. We're to rejoice in God's work because God has brought us into this family through rebirth. God is the one who brings to life that which is dead. He calls into existence the things that don't exist. And then finally, we we see we rejoice because God divinely made us part of this this fruitful family, a family that's that's better and greater than the old covenant family. Look look at the text there. In fact... um, Turn back to the book of Isaiah. Paul's quoting Isaiah. And turn to Isaiah 51. He's quoting Isaiah 54, but let me just kind of set up Isaiah 54. In Isaiah 51, Paul says, uh, Isaiah says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. And to the quarry from which you were dug, look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. 
For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. And so he took Abraham, he took Sarah, he took her who couldn't bear a child, and, and he, he multiplied, he caused her to be increased. He says in verse 5 of Isaiah 51, My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples, the coastlands hope for me. Lift up, verse 6, your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the, heaven vanish, the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. So he says, okay, I'm going to take Abraham... And I'm going to, to take one, I'm going to turn them into many, and, and my, those who want to pursue righteousness can be a part of this family. And then Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 describe the means by which God brings salvation through the Messiah. And then we come to Isaiah 54, and look at Isaiah 54. And this is the verse that Paul is quoting in Galatians 4. He says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. And then he goes on in chapter 54 and describes what, what this means. How the, 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 uh, the, the salvation that he brings, the one who is formerly barren, is going to encompass the entire earth. You will spread abroad to the right and the left. Your offspring will possess the nations and the people, the desolate cities. God's grace is going to take the one who is barren. He's going to make her fruitful. And those who seek righteousness are going to find their righteousness in, in the Messiah. Turn back to Galatians. Galatians 4 here. And this is what Paul is quoting. So, so what does he mean? What does Paul mean by quoting Isaiah 54? What Paul is saying is, look, I'm, I'm contrasting two different ways to get blessing. Way number one is the human way. Uh, Abraham and Sarah come up with this plan, and they use Hagar, and it, it, it doesn't work, right? That's, that's the way of, of works. That's the way of, of human effort. That's the way of enslavement. He says, but, but God does something something more profound by his own grace. He takes the one who couldn't bear children and he miraculously creates life where life was not before. He's the one who, who calls into existence the things that, that don't exist. He, he is the, the God who creates life and brings life by his grace. It, it's, it's a means by which you can never earn, you can never deserve. God himself does it. And what God does... The, the, the descendants of, of, the, of the one who couldn't have children are greater than the one who, who could have children. In other words, God in his grace, the family of God through the new covenant becomes greater and, and, and broader and more fruitful than the family under the old covenant. What should our response to that be? You say, okay, well, I don't want to continue to, to do works-based righteousness and try to get the blessing by, by works. What should I do? Uh, well, here's the first thing, rejoice. <laughs> How do I live as a person who's free? Well, the first thing I do is I rejoice. I rejoice in God's divine work in bringing me to be a part of this family. Whenever I was in seminary, my, my first class was a class called Introduction to Missions. And I was not excited about the class. 
You see, I did not feel like I was very good at evangelism. It didn't seem very exciting to me. I was not looking forward to it, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was sharing my faith well with the people I did know, much less the idea of, of going to different places and sharing my faith. And what was that? It's a very works-based, enslaved idea of what missions is, right? I felt guilt, felt obligation, felt like I wasn't doing enough. And the professor, the, the first book that he assigned was a book, I think I may have mentioned this before also, is called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And in the first pages, John Piper says a couple things I had to read over and over again because I had no idea exactly what he meant. And I didn't know if he was right or not, but he said this. He said, missions is not the ultimate purpose of the church. Worship is. And missions exist because worship does not. And I had to read that a couple times. Is he right about that? What does he mean worship is the ultimate purpose? I thought missions was the main thing we were supposed to be doing as a church. He said, no, missions is a secondary task of the church. Worship is the main task. It's the task that God is passionate about. It's the, the task that we should be passionate about as well. And then over the next like four pages or whatever it was, many of you have read the book, it's just like verse after verse after verse describing God's passion to see his, his name worshipped and, and how that's a, a God-glorifying thing to desire that as well. And it was just verse after verse after verse. And he got to Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I got to the end of that and I'm excited about missions suddenly. And why am I excited about missions as I, as I contemplate that reality? Because I'm, I'm not thinking about it from a works-based based perspective. I'm thinking about it from a God-glorifying perspective. God is passionate about his name, and I want to be passionate about his name as well. And to live as a free person, it begins with a God-centered rejoicing in him and his divine work. Brothers and sisters, we rejoice in what God has done. And if you're not rejoicing in what God has done, you're enslaved. A free person, as they begin to do the things that God has called them to do, doesn't do them with the mentality, I need to do these things to earn God's blessing. The person who works as a free person says, I'm doing these things because I'm increasing my joy. As I walk in obedience to God, I'm overwhelmed with who he is and his divine work in my life, and there's joy, and I recognize there's increased joy in obedience. Number two, second thing to do is we want to live in freedom. We want to know that we're a child of promise. Know you are a child of promise. Here's what Paul writes next. He says, now you brothers, you're like Isaac. You're, a children, you're, you're children of promise. Now, there's two things I want you to notice there. First of all, notice that he calls them brothers. You, you remember he's had kind of some hard words for the Galatians as, as we've gone through the epistles. He's, he said, are you so foolish? Uh, when, you know, when, did you, when did you become so foolish? I'm astonished at you. You're so quickly deserting him who called you. He's, he's had some hard words for them, but, but even though they've, they've thought some very poor things, they've been tempted to act in some very foolish ways, he still considers them brothers. They're, they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that's, that's encouraging, right? And, and then I want you to notice the, the second thing. 
he, he's been through this analogy where he's, he's kind of walking through all this, all this thing. Oh, here's this allegorical uh, or this, il- this illustration of the two different ways to pursue God's blessing. And he's, he's kind of gone through this, this, whole, this whole illustration. And then he comes to the end, and it's, it's a very concise conclusion. I want you to know, brothers, well, you're like Isaac in this illustration. You're, you're children of promise. Now, why do I draw your attention to that? Because he doesn't call them to work more. He calls them to know more. He says, I want you to understand some truth. I want you to have knowledge of something. Even though they know the gospel, that, that's not sufficient for their continued walk of sanctification. Now, sometimes, whenever I, I hear someone preach from Galatians, I, I hear it, if it's just kind of a standalone message, it's very often from Galatians 5 or Galatians 6. Galatians 5, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So I've heard a lot of sermons about the fruit of the Spirit. I've heard a lot of sermons from Galatians 6 at the very beginning about, about uh, caring for one another's burdens. I've heard a lot of uh, sermons from Galatians 6 about... Uh, financial uh, gifting and, and, and uh, uh, um, being um, sowing and reaping spiritually as well. So, so I've, I've heard a lot of sermons from Galatians 5 and 6. But God doesn't begin his message to the Galatians with chapter 5. Paul, as he writes this, this epistle, sets up several things before he gets to chapters 5 and 6 and what they need to do. He, he starts off by saying, okay, remember, here's the source of the gospel. Here's where the gospel com- came from. This is chapters 1 and 2. This is why this message is an authoritative message. And then chapters 3 and 4 are a lot of knowledge, a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology. Here's what you need to know. This is, so here's the source of the gospel in chapters 1 and 2. And now here's the content of the gospel in chapters 3 and 4. This is, this is what you need to know. Here's some theology. And then, and we're going to get there as well, then he talks about the freedom of the true gospel. Here's how you live as a free person, the freedom of the true gospel. But he doesn't start there. There's theology that people need to grasp first, knowledge that they need to have. You know, it's interesting, whenever Paul prays for people in Scripture, you should do a study of this sometime. Look at how often he prays that people would know more. So I wish you would have greater knowledge. Ephesians 1, he says, I, want to, I pray that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened and you may know the hope to which he's called you. Philippians 1, 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Uh, Colossians 1 says, From the day we've heard of it, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, here's, here's my point. If you're going to live like a person who's free and not a person who's enslaved, you've got to know some good theology. You've got to know some biblical truth. I was talking to a person uh, on Tuesday, a friend who had, a um, good friend, who had left a, a really good church. Not, not our church, although our church is also a really good church. He left another really good church. 
And he had, had started going to a church that I had some concerns about, right? And I, I asked him, I said, look, um, I, I think you've made a mistake here. <laughs> why, why, have you, why have you left your church? He says, well, uh, honestly, Daniel, um, the, the kids found the preaching boring, and um, I, I kind of do too. Now, when I, when I hear someone say, I, I found the preaching, I know that someone's going to a really good church, and they say, I, I found the preaching boring, uh, there's, there's two kind of thoughts that come to mind, two, two responses I have. The first response, honestly, I kind of sympathize with them. Like, there, there's a part of me that sympathizes. Okay, I, I have uh, been bored in good sermons before, and I've been boring in a really good sermon before, right? Like, I, I understand that. I, I get that. Uh, it's, preaching's hard, okay? And if, you, if your goal is, okay, I want to take the text and explain it to people, and you're, you're talking about five or 600 people in a room, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, okay? So pray for me right now. And I have, I've, I've personally, I've been, like, I have fallen asleep on preachers far better than me. And so, you know, if you ever, people come up and apologize to me and say, Daniel, I'm sorry I fell asleep on Sunday. I was tired. Like, look, you got nothing on me. I've fallen asleep on this guy and this guy and this guy. And I've been at conferences, so please, okay, we'll talk about who needs to apologize to who. So I, I get it, okay? So part of me, I sympathize. And absolutely, a pastor, okay, if my job is to take the text of God's word and go through it and explain it. I want to do it in a way that's as easy as possible for people to, to grasp what God is, is teaching here in the, in the text. So I understand that. So I empathize, but I also, um, I also sometimes chastise, right? Because I, and I told the person that I was talking to, this, this guy that had left the church, I said, look, um, you know, I... I think we're dealing with a, a bad issue here. I, I, think, I think you're taking the easy way out. You know what good teaching is. And I, I think what you're, as we had a conversation, I, think, I said, I think what you're telling me is not that, and I want to say this with, I said this hopefully with love. I said, it's, it's not that the preaching is boring. It's that you find the text of scripture itself boring. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying there? Like, you find a person talking about God's word, you find the word itself boring. Now, sometimes the pastor is helping you in that. Like they're, they're, they're trying to make it boring almost. But, but look, this is, this is God's word. If you say, look, I find reading the Bible boring. I, read the, I open up the Bible. I don't find that boring. My kids find it boring. And so I, I find the idea of doctrine boring. Like that's, brothers and sisters, that's, that's a spiritual issue, right? If you say, well, I... I, I you know, I've got, to, I've got to have someone else that I read. I, can't, I just can't read God's word and get excited. Now, maybe the problem isn't the pastor. Maybe the problem is, is more of a spiritual issue. Because the things you're truly excited about, you're going to want to go deeper. You know, I've, I talk to people who enjoy sports, and they said, you know, I'm, I've, I've recorded the game, and I don't want to hear anyone tell me about it because I, I, want, to, I want to go deep, and I want to be able to, to watch it. Don't spoil the ending for me if I'm into... Whatever it is, I'm into to fishing or if I'm into uh, some sort of, of uh, reading or study, I, 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 I'm into to music, I, I want to go deep and I, want, I don't call it boring, I, I, call it, I call it learning and there's joy in that. So here's what I want you to see, here's, here's my point. For a believer, if you want to walk in freedom, 
Notice what Paul says here. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Now, just take that one verse and realize what Paul is doing. He's, he's, he's giving them doctrine. He says, I want you to know that you're children of promise. And if you can read that verse and not find it exciting, there's a problem. You read that verse and say, okay, God, there's, there's, there's truths that God wants me to understand. He wants me to realize, I need to, to comprehend, even though it's already taken place, even though God's already saved me, I can't just say, well, I've been saved by the Holy Spirit, I can just go to chapter 5 of Galatians. No, Paul says, I need, you need to know that you're connected to the, the promise of Abraham. They say, you need to rejoice in that, you need to be excited, you need to know who you are positionally so you can live how you have been called to live. You can't continue in the Christian life without this knowledge. An enslaved person needs an emotion, needs some of the things to compel them to act. The free person says, okay, I, I know the truth, and I have the Holy Spirit that helps me walk in freedom. We need to know doctrinal truths, and one of the doctrinal truths we need to know is we're a, a child of promise. You and I, by God's grace, have been brought into his family, and now we, we, we understand, I'm positionally, I'm, I'm free. If I'm going to live and walk in freedom, I need to know those things. Here's the third thing. We'll look at the, the last two a little more quickly here. If I'm going to walk in freedom, I need to be ready for something. I need to expect opposition to the gospel. Paul says, okay, this is who you are. Know that, know that you're children of promise. Know that by God's grace, you've been brought into his family through, through relationship with Jesus Christ. But don't, don't be fooled. Don't be lulled into thinking that means there won't be any opposition. He says... But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So he's talking there about Ishmael and Isaac. And there's a story in Genesis 21. You can look it up later. Genesis 21, verses 8 and 10, it talks about uh, Ishmael and him kind of teasing Isaac. So, so that happened. And he says, just like that happened, that's also a picture. Those who are born according to the, the flesh are going to persecute you. Those who are pursuing God's grace through their works are going to stand in opposition to those who pursue God's blessing through faith. Don't delude yourself into thinking that you're not going to face persecution. First, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Will be persecuted. person who's going to live Obedience to God expects opposition to the gospel. And last, quick, then last thing, real quickly, number four, and, we're, and I'm saying this quickly because we're going to spend all of chapter five and six talking about this. Number four, live in freedom through the work of the Spirit. Paul says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. A couple thoughts there, right? This is saying there's, there's no blessing for the slave. When it says cast out the slave one and her son, we say the, the person who pursues God's blessing through work is never going to, to receive it. They're, they're not part of the family of God. Don't, don't follow that path of enslavement. That's not who you are. You're part of those who are going to inherit the blessing through faith. So don't live like you're someone else. Verse 31, so brothers, we're not children of the slave, but of the free. Now how does this set us up for chapter 5? 
Brothers and sisters, we're going to get called to do some difficult things in chapters 5 and 6. We're going to get called to do some, some difficult things as we follow Christ in discipleship. And if we haven't rightly understood chapters 1 through 4, we're going to approach chapters 5 through 6 as people who are trying to, to do the works in our own strength. And so what Paul is saying is saying, okay, you're, you're going to be pursuing these things, you're going to be doing these things, but you're not, the obedience isn't to earn joy, the obedience is where I find joy. I, I'm diligent because I, I want to work and to strive with, with God's work that he's working within me, not because I must work to earn God's favor. As we focus on the spiritual disciplines and the works we do and the fruit of the Spirit, after we, we've thought through all this, we're recognizing, I'm not doing these things to earn joy. I'm doing these things because this is where I find joy. The question I asked last week is a really great question. Okay, if I'm not going to do works to earn God's blessing, what do I do? Turn to Christ. And by God's grace, you've been given the freedom in Christ to pursue your joy in nothing else but Christ. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that by your grace we've been brought into relationship with you. We, we pray that you would continue to help us to walk and enjoy. We pray that we would repent of works. We pray that we would repent of, of uh, works in order to earn your favor. We pray that we would repent of, of works to earn your blessing. But we would believe and know that our blessing is found only in you. And that you are a God who gives of yourself freely. We don't come to you with something in ourselves that, that makes you give yourself to us. But you are the God who freely gives of yourself to all who ask. And so we rejoice this morning in your divine work. We know who we are through your grace. And we pray that you would give yourself to us today and help us to walk in obedience to you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.